Thank you, Preston. Thank you. That was a, that was a blessing. Um, today, I'm just trying to mess with those of you who uh, are a little bit obsessive-compulsive. and uh, No, that's not what I'm doing. Uh, but you might be messed with a little bit this morning, and that's okay. That's okay. I, I want to begin this morning talking about two, uh, two examples one, I want you to imagine with me maybe this morning and uh, maybe something like this has taken place. I know the first part of this has taken place. Imagine a Ukrainian woman who is fleeing from her home and she is told that she needs to get out of the city now to save her life and she is in her home and she's trying to decide what to take with her. And that all she can take is what she can carry And I want us to put ourselves maybe in her position and ask ourselves, what might you gather? What are the precious things in your home that you may gather together to take with you on that journey? And how difficult that may be. Let's fast forward a little bit and say that this lady reaches Poland. Let's say she goes to Warsaw and she goes to Warsaw Bible Church, and you're there, and you watch this lady at the time when it's time to give the offering, to give everything that she's gathered, out of her love, out of her faith, out of her hope, all that she's gathered, all that she has left, she gives. Another example this morning, between $160 and $180, one of the weird habits that I have is that there are times when I have prepared a sermon that I will just Google certain things. So one of the things that I Googled after I was uh, done preparing the bulk of this sermon was I Googled widow's might. And for between $160 and $180, you can be the owner of an ornate necklace that is set in this special glass with this special metal that contains a a widow's mite that you can wear around your neck. And I kid you not, I kid you not, one of the things on this website said this, perfect for a woman whose life demonstrates that she has given her all. There's a little bit of an irony in this, isn't there? That you would wear this widow's might to show your piety, to show that you have given your all. So you get this ornate widow's might. Our message this morning is about worship. Our message this morning is about worship. And as you can imagine, as Jesus has come into Jerusalem in his last days, it's Passover. And Passover, as we have noted, is a special time of year for for Jewish folks. And everybody was coming to Jerusalem. Everybody was coming in to worship. And the temple would have been the place where everybody was coming in and out to do their acts of worship, to do their religious stuff. 
Passover was the time of year that people were gathering to celebrate and to worship God for what He had done in delivering His people out of Egypt and for worshiping for what they believed would happen, that He would bring a Messiah and that He would set them free. And little did they know, little did they know how God would choose to save the world in just a few days. An amazing time. And an amazing place to be sitting in this temple. And so Jesus, who had come up for this Passover feast, had been sitting in the temple. And if you've been with us for the past couple of months, you've known that we've talked about that Jesus was in and out of the temple. And he's been in the temple over the past couple of weeks that we've been studying. Just a couple of days, he's been in, the t- in his life. He's been in the temple and he's been teaching. And we can see by the way that this is laid out in several of the verses that it really gives the connotation that we don't have all that Jesus taught. That really Jesus was in the temple and He was just continually teaching. And the crowds were there. The religious people were there trying to attack Him. His disciples were there. And today, what we are looking at is we are looking at His last teaching in the temple. The last time that he spoke into the temple, in the temple. And, and one of the things that I want you to see that I think we often miss in the text is that we've got these two situations where Jesus is saying about the scribes, beware of the scribes, and he describes what they're doing. And then we have him praising this widow, and I think these two things go together. I think when we read this, What we are supposed to be doing is comparing and contrasting what's going on in this account. And I think this is very, very vital and important. It's important enough that this is what Mark gives us in this gospel. But I also think it's it's how Jesus, how it happened that Jesus was sitting there. And this interaction, this teaching about this widow was his last words in the temple. And so it's massively significant. And it's not this throwaway story. And you've got to hear me this morning. It's not about money. It's not about money. I think we wrongly take this passage and make it only or all about money. And when you read this passage, it's not about money primarily. I mean, Mark is constantly talking about money, but it's not about money. Right? I mean, you think back to chapter 10 when you have the rich young ruler. And this man, he comes to Jesus and he wants eternal life. And Jesus, you know, gives him these commandments, follow these commandments. And the rich young ruler said, I've done all those since my youth. And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it because he was wealthy. And he loved his money. But we know that story is not about money. It's about this guy's heart. And his heart wasn't open. His heart didn't see Jesus. His heart didn't worship God for who he was. But his heart was on himself. And his security was in his finances. And what about at the end of chapter 11 where Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple? That you have these 
religious folks and they're, they're in there selling animals and they're making a profit and Jesus goes in and He turns over the table. This isn't primarily about money either. Jesus says, you have turned this house of prayer into a den of robbers. Jesus wants true worshipers. People whose hearts are set on the right thing. Or what about in this chapter, uh, several weeks ago, where we looked at, uh, as they were coming and trying to trap Jesus, talking about, should we pay the poll tax or should we not pay the poll tax? And remember, Jesus real quickly makes it not about money. He says, give to Caesar what Caesar's. And he turns it again and talks about worship. He talks about affection when he says, give to God what's God's. And what's echoing, what should be echoing in our minds is this interaction that Jesus had with the scribe who came to him and said, what is the foremost commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That your life should be about worship. Now, it's interesting. Some of you may be saying, Lewis, you said earlier that these two passages go together. Where in the world do you get that? And I think it's real easy. As Jesus is talking here, and he's talking about these scribes, in verse 40, he says, who devour widows' houses. And then right after this, Mark has for us this story of the widow's might. I think, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that Mark, as he collected these teachings of Jesus, put these things together because we're supposed to see these two things together. And as he starts, and he says, beware of the scribes, if you've been reading along with us, if you've been studying along with us as we've been going through the book of Mark, this is no surprise. We see that the worst of the worst seem to be these hypocritical religious folks, right? That this isn't the first confrontation. And as Jesus, in verse 38, starts in in His teaching, and He says, beware of the scribes, this is a strong warning. Stay away from these folks. Do not follow them. Now, there is a lesson in how this is normally taught. And I think we fail miserably as a society of heeding this warning. That is, as I read in a minute the description of these guys, many of you, maybe if you turn on certain TV stations this afternoon, certain religious stations, you will see the description of these guys in front of us. And we're not to play around with these guys. We are to beware. We are to get away from them. But isn't it fascinating that some of the guys in our day and age that fit this description have the biggest following, if you want to talk about numbers of people, have the most money, have the biggest buildings, and have some of the biggest outreach. We are a people who have not, who have not embraced this idea that we need to beware. In fact, I think many of us get tricked into this whole line of thought that because the ministry is big and because there's a lot of money, that these people have God's favor. And we see from our text 
this morning that this is not necessarily so. So follow me here. I'm going to go fairly quickly through this. But Jesus says, beware of the scribes. Look at verse 38. Notice what these men are like. He says, who walk around, who like to walk around in long robes. These long robes. And what is the purpose of walking around in long robes? The purpose of walking around in long robes is to denote, hey, I'm a scribe. Do you know who I am? Notice me. He said, beware of these guys. And think about it. It's Passover week. This is their time to shine. This is their moment. Everybody's coming. They want everybody to know, look at me. Look how wonderful I am. I am a scribe. Respect me. Honor me. Notice the second thing that we see in verse 38. And they liked respectful greetings in the marketplace. We don't know exactly what these greetings were, but some people say that they think that the greeting was actually kissing the hand. Kind of like in the mob boss movies. Placing yourself up here. Kiss the ring. Then in verse 39, in the chief seats in the synagogues, the Normal people in the synagogues in this day and age would sit on the floor. The people who were needing to be noticed would either sit on benches along the side or up front near where the scrolls or where the person who was teaching sat. And the last one is just like it. Who like, who like places of honor at banquets. We get the idea, right? You get the idea. That these guys are walking around and they are wanting to be noticed. They're wanting to be honored. They're wanting to be loved. They're wanting to be respected. They are seeking their own glory. They are seeking their own praise. And it is sick. It is sick. Because they're supposed to be men who are pointing people to God. And we see how sick they are in verse 40. Who devour widows' houses. We don't know exactly what is meant by this. There's been some speculation, and this is purely speculative. The, the scribes of the day would have also at times acted like lawyers. And so uh, some of the speculation is that, um, that the scribes to go in and help these widows with their affairs were putting as leverage would 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 write up the contracts, you know, give them loans or help them settle the affairs. And if they defaulted on the loans, then they would get their houses. Or when the widow died, that the scribes would write in their will that the scribes got the houses. It's also thought maybe what happened too is that they would go in and they would convince the widows to put them up for lodging and they would literally eat them out of house and home. Wicked. I mean, think about it. The Old Testament is full, full with passages of the idea that the people of God are supposed to take care of the widows and the orphans, those who have been placed in a situation in life where they were in need. The Old Testament is full of that. And yet, 
And yet, we have these men that aren't, are not only not taking care of the widows, but they're preying on them. <laughs> How evil. How evil. And lastly, for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. That they take this very sacred act of praying to the God of the universe and use it as a way, use it as a way to grandstand. And don't miss, don't miss this last statement. These will receive a greater condemnation. How are they doing with the greatest commandment? How are they doing when we ask them the question, are you loving God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul? They're loving themselves with all their heart, mind, and soul. And what about the second, which is like it? Are you loving your neighbor like yourself? No, they're praying on their neighbor for selfish gain. So you can't follow these type of people. And so who would Jesus have us be like? I just love this next scene. I just think this is such a, the more I have studied and the more I have meditated on this next part of Scripture, it just fills my heart to fullness. Isn't it interesting? Verse 41, so Jesus is here, he's in the temple, and he's in the part of the temple where it says he sat down next to the treasury, where everybody's coming and they're bringing in their offerings. And remember, it's Passover, tons of people. And this would have been the time of year where Everybody's flooding in the temple to pay their alms, to, to, to give, to be blessed. All of these things are taking place. And think about this. God in the flesh is there and He sits down and He decides to watch. Maybe He sits up here so that He can see the two offering boxes in the back and just watches you as you go by. Isn't this fascinating? That Jesus is just sitting there. Now, what we know is that there were these brass containers that are called trumpets, and there were 13 of them, and they were spread about, and people would go and they would put their money in these brass trumpets. And we all know, right, that there were no checks in this day and age. There weren't any paper bills. Surprisingly, uh, youth, there was no Venmo back then. There were coins made of different metals. And so what's happening is Jesus is sitting here. The sound would be like Vegas. If you've been to Vegas Center. No, if you've been to... Teasing. But if you've been to Vegas and you've been in a casino, you hear ding, 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 ding. You hear the coins constantly dropping. And I think there's some kind of sound like this going on. And Jesus is sitting there and He's watching and hears the sounds that are going on. And He notices, look at verse 41, and the rich were coming and they were putting in large sums. And so they were dumping money in and it was like, ting, 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 ting. Now what I want you to see, Jesus doesn't condemn the rich person for giving a lot of money. That's not what's going on here. He's going to compare this widow to the rich person, but I just want you to see what's going on. So he's sitting there and he's watching this. He's watching this take place. And again, what you have to hear from me 
This is not about the money. It's not about the money. Watch what happens in verse 42. A poor widow came. The mental picture that I kept getting this week, I kept thinking about Ruth in the Old Testament. Remember Ruth? She lost her husband. She lost her two son-in-laws. And that meant that she was destined for, to be the lowest of the low. Hopeless. In fact, she says in Ruth chapter 1 verse 20, she says, Call me Mara, for God has treated me bitterly. That her position, because she was a widow, was so bad that she said that God had cursed her. Here, we have a widow, a poor widow, in need. In need of someone to help her. And again, we see that God's people have fallen down on the job because here you have, this shouldn't happen in God's land. This shouldn't be happening that, the, that a widow is poor and destitute and only has two pennies to her name. It shouldn't happen among God's people, but it has happened. She's here. And our text tells us that she has two small coins. Two cents. Next to nothing. And one of the things that I find marvelous is that it says that she has two coins and she put them both in. Could anybody here blame her for only putting one in? The text tells us that she gave, this is all that she had. She gave it all. Would anybody here blame her for giving 50% of her net worth and holding out that one penny? Look at verse 44. The second part of verse 44. But she, out of her poverty, like that example that I used in the beginning, put in all that she owned. And notice this. Don't let this escape your attention. All that she had to live on. It meant that when she gave this money, when she gave all that she had, she was totally dependent upon God to eat her next meal. Don't miss this. Where is her heart? Where is her trust? What does this say about her worship? Here's the part of this that I love. I love it all. But here's, here's the part that just thrills my heart. That when the widow came and she put in her two cents, in verse 43, Jesus called the disciples to him. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors of the of the of the treasury. Now, notice these words, truly, I say to you, Jesus, when he uses that phrase, it's this it's this big phrase of pay attention to this. And I think when Jesus is here, when Jesus sees this widow, that Jesus gets excited and he's telling his disciples, come here, come here, come here. You've got to see this. You've got to watch this. Something miraculous is getting ready to happen. What do you think if you were one of the disciples? Jesus, what's the big deal? It was only two pennies. The rich guys were like dumping bags of coins in there. And Jesus is excited. 
And Jesus says that this woman has given more, not because she's given more as far as amount, but because she has given all that she has. This is not about money. God doesn't need your money. We're not taking up a special offering today. This is about worship. She has every reason not to worship God. She could be very bitter about her circumstances. Can't imagine. I, I, I can't imagine losing a spouse. I can't even fathom losing a spouse and losing everything because in this day and age, that connection was everything. Financially, status, everything. She has every reason to be bitter. She has every reason not to be vulnerable. Not to put herself into a position that would make her even more vulnerable. I mean, maybe she knew of the of the scribes and that they were praying on widows. And here she is in the temple and she's giving all that she has. I mean, she has every reason to protect herself. Who else is going to protect her? Nobody else is stepping up to the plate. And so sometimes I think in the past when I've thought about this, I've thought about this poor widow kind of downtrodden and I've really changed my mind. Because God loves what kind of giver? Mm, cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful worshiper. And I think, I think this woman was not reluctant. She was not angry. But I think she was hopeful. I think she was expectant. I think she was glad. She was worshiping. And I wonder. A part of me wonders that as, as Jesus was sitting there with his disciples, that maybe if in the disciples' mind, there, and I think maybe I'm asking this as well with us, maybe the disciples thought this, maybe we're supposed to think this, are we supposed to go back to when Jesus first came in the temple and he cleansed the temple because they were making a mockery and it wasn't a place of worship. And we see these two pictures of this just horrible thing that's taking place that these religious leaders again are cheating people and they've turned it into a den of thieves. And then, then we get Jesus looking at this widow and says, this is what my house is supposed to be like. This is what worship looks like. That's not worship. This is worship. Or I wonder... I wonder if we're supposed to, one of the things we're supposed to glean from this is the idea. Is the idea and this thought that this woman is an example of Jesus. You see, because as she is giving all that she had in just a couple of days, Jesus is going to give His very life for us. And are we supposed to see in this woman she looks a whole lot like our Savior. 
How are you coming to worship? Where is your heart centered? What if Jesus was sitting and watching today? What are you holding back? What are you clinging to? What if, as Preston saying earlier, that all our hope, all your hope was in Jesus? How would it change the way that we met? How would it change the way that we sing? Might we even clap? Might we get excited? How would it change the way that we prayed? As Gary was praying and he was praying for Roger and as he was praying for Hannah, might we join him in that prayer expecting the God of the universe to do great things and to, to speed the recovery of Roger and to heal Hannah's leg? Might we be expectant and as Gary is praying that we are praying ourselves, yes, Lord, do it. How would it change the way that we gave? I'm not talking about amount. And could you get that category out of your head? That when we talked about time, talent, and treasure, that you became a person that just pushes it all in and say, I'm all in. I'm all in. How would it, might it change the way that we, I, we preach? We're proclaiming God's word and we're proclaiming his power as we're doing that. What kind of heart was this woman bringing to the temple? She was bringing in a heart that was needy, courageous, and hopeful. What kind of, these, what kind of heart were these scribes bringing to this community? Heart that was focused on themselves. Heart that was ultimately evil. And we have to ask ourselves this morning, what kind of heart is beating inside of us? Where are we this morning? I am committed. I'm committed. To Signal Mountain Bible Church being a place being a place where we gather and we worship. We worship. That we sing, that we pray, that we teach, that we gather together. That we be a people who are encouraging one another along to be a people who worship. That we're worshiping God with all that we have, our mind, our soul, our strength, that it's all in. And we're encouraging and spurring one another on to love our neighbor as our and I'm committed to this being a place where we do all these things in such a way that we express while we're here. You see, when people come in and are around us, isn't what kind of person do we want people to see? The scribe? The long robes? The long prayers? 
meant to tickle the ears? A booming ministry with a lot of money. Bigger church, bigger sanctuary. Or, or faithful men and women who are so hoping in God, who so much so see Christ and what He has done in such a way that we are a people who are all in. Who are all in. So the goal, well, let me say this first, sorry. A good friend of mine who is in this room, uh, we were meeting a couple of weeks ago, and he had a phrase that he used that has been rolling around in my head, and I changed it just a little bit. And here's the question I would ask us this morning. How is the dysfunction in your heart affecting the way that you worship? How is the dysfunction in your heart affecting the way that you worship? What if, when we gathered here on Sunday mornings together, that you had spent time, you had spent time praying, repenting, reading, singing, focusing on God, focusing on His love for you, Focusing on how great He is. So that when we gather in here together, we're coming in with a full heart. And for those who just aren't there, it's contagious because we're spurring one another on, like the book of Hebrews says, that we've got a bunch of people with full hearts. So as we come in here and gather together, we are authentically praising and worshiping the God of the universe. That's the kind of church I want to be. Now, I have dared to change, just for today, the way that we're doing our service. And it's intentional. Here's what we're going to do. I, a, a church service, for those of you who may not know, typically church services are ordered in a certain way on purpose, and there's a good movement of that. And, and the ordering of a church service, a lot of times, is a call and response. A call and response. And so we have the call to worship. And John, or whoever's leading worship, normally will, will read a scripture or direct our focus to God. There's the call, and then there's the response of singing. There's the preaching, and then there's the response of singing. And this morning, I wanted to make this crystal clear. The call from our text is to be like this widow. The question is, what is going to be your response? So we're going to sing several songs here in a moment. But what I want to do before then is just take a small amount of time and pray. And give you the opportunity this morning, as you're sitting in your seats, maybe you'll pray, God, would you do that in my heart this morning? Would you help me to see you as more valuable than anything else in this world? Will you help me be a person who is longing to be all in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so often more like this scribe than this widow.
And it has nothing to do with the amount of money that I give or don't give. That's just a symptom of the deeper problem. God, help us to be a people at Single Mountain Bible Church who look to you as our hope, as the only thing in this world that can be trusted. God, let it be said of us that we are a people who worship. God, as we transition into singing, it's very intentional that this first song that we sing is directed right to you. God, we are here this morning to worship you. That's only possible through your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.